when Sam told me he was going to introduce me, I was nervous. <laughs> he did not disappoint. The man, the myth, the legend. That's the first time I've ever been referred to as a legend. Uh, wow. Um, actually, can I get... Can I get that one? It's a little shorter. I mean, I'm naturally pretty tall, but, you know, I just needed something that kind of fit my height. Oh, thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you. Okay, we can keep that there, but we can keep that. Can, we, can I have both? Is it like either or, or is it like there's not, not a lot of music stands to go around? All right, how y'all doing? Okay, so like five of y'all said good. How are y'all doing? Yeah, so my name is Marcus Corpening, okay? Corpening is not a common uh, name, last name, uh, especially for black people, but um, it's a common, not a common name. My name is Marcus Corpening, and I'm the campus pastor at Itaewon. I'm not a myth <laughs> or a legend, <laughs> um, but I'm really glad to be here. And so I hope that God really speaks to you guys tonight. You know, KU has a special place in my heart. Uh, KU has a special place in my heart because, you know, last for like last year, a lot of the students that came to Emmaus KU would come out to New Philly, Itaewon. And so I was like, you know, KU is, is Itaewon's campus. It's like my campus, you know. <laughs> but then like uh, all you guys go to <laughs> home day now. It's OK. It's OK. And so I haven't some of you guys probably don't recognize me. That's because I haven't been here. Uh, last semester, I did not preach at KU, but I'm glad to be back. And so I'm really excited for what God wants to speak to us tonight. So let me just say a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your desire to speak to us tonight, to move in our lives and to challenge us and encourage us, God. Uh, Lord, I thank you for every student that is here. God, I thank you, Lord, that they did not come just simply on their own volition, but God, you brought them here. And so, Lord, I pray, would you speak to them, God? Would you encounter them? God, I remove all doubt, all fear, God. I remove uh, even distraction that may be in our hearts. And, God, I pray for clarity and power. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, I was in Emmaus staff. Um, I was on Emmaus staff, I guess. Uh, each year I preach at Emmaus, it gets further away when I was a mayor's staff. I guess that was now six years ago, but I don't look it right. Doesn't it look like last year, right? No. Yes, right, right? No, no? Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm afraid to tell them the truth. And so uh, I was on staff with Emmaus when it was only at one campus, but since then Emmaus, of course, has expanded. And so Emmaus itself has a huge place on my heart because that's where I got transformed. And so I'll talk about that tonight. What I want to talk to you about the title of my message tonight is called The Power of Pursuit. So right now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, smack them on the shoulder and say, you need to pursue the right things. Come on, reach. Now turn to the other person on the other side of you and smack them and say, you need to pursue the right things. And say, I want to I start off by telling you a story. Uh, this past summer, I got invited to go to L.A. It was my first time ever going to L.A., and I preached. I'd, I'd never been to Los Angeles, so I was, like, very excited. I really wanted Mexican food. I was just, like, so excited to go. And I went and I ministered at a college ministry there called Burning Tree. 
It's like crazy name, right? Burning tree. And so uh, uh, one thing about me is like I like to walk around. I like to move around. I'll get into your space and everything. I hope you're okay with that. Um, But I went to Burning Tree, and as I went to Burning Tree, I was there, and I preached, and it was awesome. And then while I was there, uh, one day at at lunch, we were all eating lunch, and I went and I sat down at one particular uh, table. It was really cool because when you walk in the door and you're the guest speaker, you're like a celebrity. Like, everyone, like, wanted to, like, see me and stuff. Like, it's the one time in my life I felt like I was really, really important. It was really cool. And so everyone's like, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Marcus. I'm like, yeah, 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 you know. I'll sit here today, and tomorrow I'll sit over there. And they're like, oh, you know, I felt really important. And then I went to one table, and I sat at this table, and everyone there was really, like, wanting to talk to me, like, asking me all these questions, except for this one girl. This one girl, she's sitting there at the table. And as soon as I saw that face, I was like, Jesus wants to talk to her. See, right now, see, right now, see, your facial expression, I'm like, right now, I am like, who's giving me the mean look? Jesus is going to talk to you today. Uh, But she's looking at me, and everyone's asking me all these questions, and all of a sudden, she interrupts. She's like, look, and everyone's like, looking at her like, what's wrong with her? You know, she just interrupts the conversation. Look, Pastor Marcus, I have a question. Uh, Okay, sure, what's your question? And she says, I came to this retreat not because I wanted to come, but because someone dragged me. I was like, oh, well, that's great. Thanks for telling me that. <laughs> what is your name? You know, she didn't even tell me her name first. And she's like, my name is Violet. And I'm like, oh, Violet, that's an interesting name. I like that name, you know. And she's like, I didn't want to be here. Okay. But, you know, as I'm here, I heard your first message, and it was really good. I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and then she's like, I... I really want God. I really want God. I want to encounter Jesus. I want to walk right. And I know I should. But there's just other things, too, that I, you know, I'm a college student. I like to have fun. And I knew exactly what that meant. Like, she did not mean go to Everland. (laughs) You know, she meant, like, go to the bar that Philip Coons went to, you know. (laughs) I'm messing with Philip. He went to he went to New Philly Etowan. So, and so she's like, I want to go and have fun. I know that if I live for Jesus, it's going to be the best thing for me. But there's so many other things that I want to do, and I just can't give it up. And I'm like, Oh, I know what you mean. And she's like, Well, no, I I really really want God. Like I really want God. My heart wants God. I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Like I understand it with my mind. I know Jesus is the best thing for me. I want to live a life for him, but I also want to do these other things. And I feel like that I can't give it up. And I was like thinking right there, what do I say to this girl? (laughs) Help me, Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, God just spoke to me. Boom. I was like, you know what? You've got it all wrong. What do you mean? I said, you are focusing so much on what you need to let go. But if you'll focus on what you need to pursue, you will naturally let go of the things you need to let go of. All of a sudden, she started crying. I've never thought of it that way before. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, I've never thought of it that way before. And see, the truth of the matter is, is that in our Christian walk, so many of us think of Christianity in terms of how do I maintain a certain relationship with God? 
Like, I know that I used to grow up in the church. I know Jesus to a certain degree, and I want to maintain this certain relationship. Or we think of Christianity mainly in terms of the things I need to let go of, right? How do I stop doing what I've been doing? How do I stop looking at that? How do I stop going to that place? How do I stop living that way? Because I know that if I keep doing it, it's not going to be the best thing for me. But the problem is, is that that's not how God intended for you to live. See, Christianity is not about what you need to let go of or what you need to maintain. But Christianity is all about what you're supposed to pursue. Because if you will pursue the right things, you will naturally let go of the other things. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. See, if you get this today, it will radically change your life. Because that moment with Violet, it changed my life. <laughs> you know, it, it applies to every other area of life. You know, like if I, want to, if I want to get fit, right? If I want to get fit, I can't just decide that I'm going to stop eating McDonald's, right? I also have to decide that I'm going to pursue going to the gym. You know, if I want to stop, you know, smelling like really bad. I can't just decide that I'm going to stop smelling. I need to pursue a, sh a shower, you know? <laughs> like you can't just walk around like, man, I really need to stop smelling like this. I really need to stop smelling like this. Deodorant is not working for me. I no, no, you need to get up and go and take a shower, right? If you pursue a shower, you will naturally stop smelling, right? You think about it like fellas, you know, okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but if you say you want to manage your money, you can't just stop shopping all the time. You also need to start budgeting because the power oftentimes is not in what you stop doing. It's in what you start doing. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter five. We're going to look at some verses here. And if you don't have a Bible, I want you to lean over to the person next to you, get in their personal space. And I want you to look. We're going to look at some really famous passages of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter five. And we're going to read it from verses six to twenty one. And then we're going to skip over to chapter six. This is God talking. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sorry, it's my God voice. Uh, I can't I can't help it out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Let's skip over to verse nine. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Skip down to verse 16. Honor your father and your mother. Let's pause there. Now I'm just messing. Keep going. Uh, verse 17, you shall not murder. Verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 19, you shall not steal. Verse 20, you shall not bear false witness. Verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. That's very interesting. People were, like, coveting other people's donkeys. Uh, let's skip over to, uh, I thought that was funny to me, like, uh, let's uh, chapter 6. So this is, we know those, right? What is that called? The Ten Commandments, right? You shall not do this. You shall not do that. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't work 
on the Sabbath day, right? Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Now let's skip over to chapter six. Now this is the commandment, right? The statute that the Lord commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking that you may do them in the land in which you're going over to possess it. And then let's skip down to verse four. Here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is called the greatest commandment. Skip. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew real quick. I want you to read another verse. Turn to Matthew 22. Because this is where the greatest commandment shows up again. Matthew 22, just verses 36 to 40. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, talking about the Ten Commandments here, the Mosaic law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we, we read first the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not do this. You shall not do that. You shall not do this. And then when Jesus hits the scene, Jesus actually takes the Ten Commandments a step further. So in terms of coveting or committing adultery, Jesus is like, actually, even if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says that even if you oh don't murder, you've heard it said don't murder. But even if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. It's like, Jesus, whoa, calm down. You know, he takes stuff to a whole new level. But then here on this passage, we see that Jesus says that if you want to fulfill all of those things, all you really need to do is love God and love people. And what is he saying? He's saying that so many of us focus on what we shouldn't do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But Jesus says, check it out. If you'll just focus on what you need to do, which is love God and love people, you'll fulfill all those other things. That's because it's a principle that if you pursue the right things, you'll let go of the wrong things. You understanding what I'm saying? See, if you pursue the right things, you'll naturally let go of the wrong things. Here's another way to say it. Whatever you say yes to, you're naturally saying no to the other things. You know, when you say yes to purity, you're saying no to pornography. When you say yes to joy, you're saying no to despair. When you say yes to happiness, you're saying no to depression. When you say yes to community, you're naturally saying no to isolation. But so many of us are like, how can I stop doing this? I don't want to look at that anymore. I don't want to be so lonely. I don't want to be so isolated. I don't want to struggle like this. And we focus so much on what we need to stop doing. But God says, hey, check it out. If you'll just focus on what you need to pursue, you'll naturally have freedom in the other area. It changes your life. See, what happens is when you begin to focus on what you pursue, everything changes. I'll read out some scripture for you. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 9 says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. First Timothy 6, 11 says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth Uh and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Proverbs 21.21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Many of us, we've heard how many messages. I'm sure you can count all the messages that you've heard where someone's told you, stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. But actually, the key is not what you need to stop doing. The key is what you need to start doing. Turn away from evil and do good. Yeah, I need to turn away. Abhor what is evil. Yeah, I need to abhor what is evil. Flee from flee the evil desires of youth. Yeah, I'll try my best. You know, you meet with Eunice. You're like, she's like, how are you doing? I'm trying my best to stop doing that. I'm just really bad. I'm just trying. Because we focus so much on all that, but we don't realize that there's so much power, not when you just flee, but when you pursue. When you pursue, in order to pursue, you naturally have to flee. See, for many of us, our Christianity, think about your Christian walk. Think about your thought life. For most of us, our Christianity has a negative tilt to it. Meaning that when you think about your Christian walk and your relationship with Jesus, it is probably most likely in the negative. So when you come before Jesus, the first thing you want to do is repent. Uh, you know, King Jesus, I'm so sorry for what I did. You know, Johnny's up here talking about, I got love, joy. And you're like, Jesus, right b- before I sing that, I just need to repent. Uh, I want to sing the lyrics to the song, but let me repent first. Like everything, I meet so many Christians and so many of us, the way we think of Christianity is in a negative tilt. And when we think of the cross, we think of the cross in a negative tilt. Jesus died for my sin. And he died and he died and he did all this for me. And it's all so negative and it's all such a Debbie Downer. And you don't want to tell anybody about Jesus because it'll make them depressed. Even even non-believers, when they think about Christianity, they think about Christianity primarily in a negative light. But Christianity was never meant to be considered in a negative light. It's always been positive. See, Jesus says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Meaning that when Jesus steps on the scene, it's never about what you need to turn away from. It's always about what you need to pursue. See, Jesus did not just come to put your sin to death. He also came to give you new life. But so many of us, all we think about is death, death. Man, I don't really want to come to Emmaus tonight. This pastor's going to get up here and he's going to tell me just a lot of negative things. I'm going to feel really bad. I want to cry, but I'm not going to cry because I'm tough. <laughs> That's the way I used to think about Christianity. It's all negative, all negative, all negative. But the truth is that it's the other way around. The way you grow as a believer is not by figuring out what you need to stop doing. It's about figuring out what you need to pursue. So I know you've you've heard a lot of messages about what you need to stop thinking about. Or what you need to stop doing. But you need to stop thinking about what you need to stop doing. You hear me? You need to stop. Some of you, you're all analytical right now. You're just like, you know. And so you're just thinking through everything and you're always thinking about stuff and you get so wrapped up in your mind and you start getting so depressed because everything is just and, and God's saying, hey, stop thinking about what you need to stop doing. Stop thinking about what you need to stop thinking about. 
and start thinking about what you need to start doing. Start thinking about what you need to start thinking about. (laughs) There's so much power in pursuit. There's so much power in pursuit. I want to talk to you about three ways that we can walk in the power of pursuit. Because when you walk in the power of pursuit, it changes your life. When you walk in the fact that your Christian walk is not about what you need to walk away from, but what you need to walk towards, it changes everything. And so I'll tell you three things, three ways, three things that you need to pursue if you're going to walk in this. The first is you need to pursue community. Pursue community. See, your Christian life, you know, you can walk away, you hear this message, I'm going to start thinking about the right things, I'm going to start pursuing Uh, who God is for me. I'm going to start pursuing his goodness, pursuing his life, pursuing his presence. But then oftentimes we have a tendency to stop pursuing, don't we? Like you have that one moment where like, yeah, God, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I know. I'm going to turn away from that. But then all of a sudden after time, you you get back into those old thought patterns. You start thinking negative again. You read the Bible again and all of a sudden you still you feel depressed. And that's why we need community, because community is what helps to keep you walking in the power of pursuit. I'll read some Bible verses for you. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? That means that when you come in and you get around other people who are also pursuing after God, pursuing after what God has for their lives, all of a sudden it challenges you to pursue after God. You come in thinking about everything you need to walk away from. But, the, you know, the moment you get in contact with someone who's always thinking about what God is doing and always thinking about pursuing him, it like ignites something in your heart. Like that was Philip's testimony. He was coming in and he's like, am I going to find a church? What's going on? And he meets David O. And David O, he's always about pursuing the good. He's always about pursuing God. He's always about pursuing. And so it just ignited something in Philip's heart. Philip was like, hold on. Something's different about him. I, I don't look nothing like him. I don't think like him. I need to think like him. So all of a sudden, it began to ignite something in him. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another towards not sinning, towards uh, not doing bad things. No, no. Towards love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the Bible tells us to actually continue to meet together, continue to have people that you're connected with because it helps you to continue to pursue the good. I give you a clear example of this. So I told you I was a college student, right? So I got saved in 2006, August 2006. Now, some of you may have been in like sixth grade or something. I don't know. I'm pretty old now. I'm realizing I'm kind of old. But uh, I got saved in August 2006. And then six months later, my story was I came to Korea because I was in a relationship uh, with a Korean-American girl. And she came to Korea. And I thought she was the and so I came to Korea as well. No, no, aw. It was actually kind of pathetic when you think about it. Uh, but I came. And, um, and then when I came, God radically transformed me. He changed my life. I began to experience what it means to actually live the Christian life. 
And it's not this life of walking around depressed, woe is me, I'll try my best to live a good life. No, it's actually a life of encountering God and experiencing all that he has for you. And it changed me. It radically changed me. And at the end of my semester, I started thinking, because when I first became a Christian, I'm like someone who, as soon as I got saved, I backslid. Like, so like I got saved and then I kept going out to the bars and to the clubs and I kept doing all of that. And then when I came to Korea, it was like, whoa, they've got like bars on top of bars on top of bars. Like, it's like, wow, I could go to five bars in one building. Like, this is amazing, you know? And so, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, none of you guys do that, but that was me. And so, but then God began to change my life. And so all my friends back home, though, they weren't Christian. None of them. And so I was like, God, what am I going to do? I was so afraid, and I was thinking, man, I need to, how do I maintain what God has done in my life? You see that mindset? Like, how do I maintain? How do I not fall back into what I used to do? And God began to speak to me and say, hey, Marcus, actually, don't think so much about what you need to stop doing. Think about what you need to start pursuing. And I was like, what? How do I do that, God? And so I moved back to North Carolina, and my first Sunday back, God put it on my heart, and he said, I want you to find I want you to identify the brothers in the community that are the most on fire for Jesus. And those guys, I want you to walk up to them and ask to be their friend. <laughs> I was like, hold on, God, what? <laughs> like, this is not like third grade. Like, do you want to be my friend? Can we be friends? Like, guys don't ever do that. Like, when do, when do you do that? Like, guys never walk uh, Hi, uh, Sam, uh, do you want to be chingus like that's most guys are gonna be like uh, uh excuse me you know so i was like oh, god I don't, I don't know god i don't know and then i got there and as soon as i got there uh what happened was i walked in and it was like a korean church so after after service they always serve like bulgogi and kimchi and and all this stuff and so we go downstairs and we're all sitting and we're eating and i needed a place to stay and I was planning on staying with my old friends because they were like, hey, man, we've got an open room. You can stay with us. It'll be like before. We're going to have an awesome time. Like, we are so glad you're back. Uh, we'll go to the club tonight. And I'm like, oh, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> I go to church. I'm sitting there. And I'm just talking to people. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys just turns to me and says, hey, man. And he's like one of the guys I identified was on fire. And I was like. I know God wants me to ask him to be friends, but I'm not going to do that. Like, I got too much pride, God. I'm sorry. Just no, Jesus, no. And he's, we're just talking. He's like, oh, you just got back from Korea. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, man, I'm looking for a roommate. You need a roommate? Bert? Uh, can, can I be your roommate? He's like, yeah, man, like, come and move in with me. And I was so afraid because I knew that it would require me saying no to my friends. But I was so, I desired so much to experience more of God that it made it natural for me to say yes to him and therefore say no. So many of us are like, oh, I don't know if I can say no. I don't say, how much do you really want to experience God? If your heart is like, God, I'll pursue after you at all costs, it actually makes the decision quite easy. I once heard a wise man say that confusion is knowing what to do, but lacking the courage to do it. 
But see, when you know what to pursue, it comes easy. And then what happened was after that, I began to identify more and more. And but God wasn't finished with me, so I began to identify more and more brothers that were so on fire for God. And some of them, I walked up to them, and I was like, hey, man, I see the way that you live for Jesus. Can I hang out with you? <laughs> and you know what they said? They said, man, of course, man. We actually saw you, dude, and we wanted to, we wanted to disciple you. We wanted to speak into your life. And it began to change my life. See, you need people like that. Why? Because those are the people that are going to help you to continue to pursue after what God has for you. The second thing you got to pursue is, is spiritual authority. Now, this one, this one, a lot of times we don't we don't really agree with. But you don't just need community. You also need spiritual authority. What do I mean by spiritual authority? I mean, like familiar group leader. I mean, like your campus director, your pastors. I mean, people that God has put over your life to speak into your life. Why? Because you can have good friends and godly friends around you. But sometimes they're not willing to even speak in the certain areas of your life. They'll see you struggling in a certain way. They'll see that you're falling back into it, but they don't want to jeopardize the friendship. So they're just like, oh, well, just pray for them in secret. So you need spiritual authority. And most of us, we don't like hearing that because we think of spiritual authority in a negative light, don't we? Even right now, as I said, you need to pursue spiritual authority and submit to spiritual authority. Some of you are like, closing my notebook. I'm done with this. I was taking notes in my brain, but I'm cutting off my brain because we don't like it. And it's because we naturally think that spiritual authority exists to control us. Hebrews, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews, uh, what does it say in Hebrews? Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 7, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. And many of us, we think that we think of spiritual authority in a negative light. Like, I don't really want to submit myself to my familiar leader. I don't really want to submit every area of my life to to Pastor Eunice. I don't really want to submit every area of my life to, yeah, I said pastor. Um, I don't want to submit every area of my life to a, a, a small group leader or a familiar group leader. I don't want to submit myself to them because they might control me, right? Well, here's an example. How many of you guys know who Michael Jordan is? Just by a show of hands. Michael Jordan. How many of us know who Kobe Bryant is? How many of us know who Tim Grover is? One, two people maybe, you know who Tim Grover is? Tim Grover is the person who trained Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And these guys, they said that they would never become the men of like the amazing superstar basketball players that they were meant to become without Tim Grover. Why? Because Tim Grover was their trainer. And so he would make them come in when they didn't want to come in. He would tell them to eat certain foods that they didn't want to eat. He would give them regiment. He would give them training. And he would constantly push them forward. You know what they said about Tim Grover? They said, Tim Grover helped me turn my weaknesses into strength. Tim Grover helped turn my fear into courage. See, spiritual authority is like Tim Grover. They're not meant to control you. They're meant to take you from being just someone who's mediocre in your Christian walk to someone who is absolutely phenomenal. See, we think of spiritual authority. This person wants to control me. This person wants to, you know, people think that at Itaewon when, when, as I'm the pastor. And they're like, Pastor Marcus just wants to control me. I'm like, I do not have enough time to control you. 
man, I don't want to do that. Like, I can barely control myself. Why do I want to control you? No, see, God didn't put spiritual authority there to control you. God put spiritual authority there to catapult you forward. See, there's certain places and things in your life, breakthroughs that you'll never get unless you've got someone else who's who's walking with you, pushing you forward. There's some steps of faith you'll never take unless someone else is there saying you can do it. You're more than that. Why, why fall back into that? Why are you looking at it again? That's not who you are. That's not what God's called you to do. Stop saying you're weak. God wants to turn your weakness into strength. Stop saying you're afraid. Don't you know that you're more than a conqueror? Stop saying that because God has put more inside of you to pursue. But you never get that unless you've got someone else walking beside you pushing you forward. See, when I... When I came to Korea the first time, I met this guy by the name of Christian. And he had probably the worst wardrobe I've ever seen of a human being. Like he had a Von Dutch hat. He had camo pants, but not like the, the like camo pants that looked like they were huge, baggy camo pants with a blazer. Like, but it was weird. Like it didn't look right. And then running shoes. I was like, how, how does this work? This is not like, you know, um, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But and so I met this guy, Christian, and as I began to meet with him each and every week, we would do accountability together. It's like <sighs> accountability, right? It's do or do not. Right. So, so did you I'd be like he'd walk in and like I'd be so nervous because I was. Yeah. And so I'd, he'd walk in. And, it's a question one. I'm like, y- y- yes. <laughs> did you look at this? yes he's like all right question two did you do this what what what'd you say you heard me yes okay question number three okay here's the biggie okay did you do that Can I go get some water? <laughs> like week in and week out, I would come in when we do accountability, and my answers would always be yes, <laughs> yes. And then he'd always ask me the spiritual discipline questions. Did you read your Bible? No. <laughs> Did you pray? I mean, like, what is prayer, actually? <laughs> you know, what is prayer? Like, I mean, I just prayed, I just prayed right now, you know, like. What is prayer? And so, but it was so funny because what began to happen was over the course of every time I would answer yes to those questions, I would fear that he would be like, again? You looked at that again? You did that again? Get out of here, man. Don't you know you're not supposed to do that? Don't you know you're not supposed to do that? Did you go to the club? What exactly is a club? <laughs> like, you mean like the buddy club? Like mentors club? Yeah, I mean club like that. Like club? <laughs> club sandwich? Like, what do you mean? Like club, like, you know? And he's like, okay, yes. You know, and every time I thought he was going to say, get out, get out, get out. Because in my mind, Christianity was all about what I'm not supposed to do. 
But every time that I would say yes to something that I shouldn't have been doing, he wouldn't say, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. Instead, he would point me to Jesus. He would point me to God's grace. He would point me to God's love. He would point me to God's mercy. He would point me to these various things because as he began to point me to God, these other things, the desire for it started to naturally fade away. See, some of you are wondering why you're struggling in certain things habitually. And the problem is not because you're just sitting there and you're not trying hard enough and you're not putting enough effort towards it. No, the problem is that you keep looking. You keep thinking about how you need to stop doing that instead of thinking about God. See, when you start thinking about God and his love and his mercy and his grace, you naturally stop desiring the other things. Because he's that good. Because the power of what you pursue is much greater than what you leave behind. And then what began to happen was he began to just train me in the word. He began to train me. He began to tell me to come out to the Friday prayer meetings. I didn't want to come. Let me be honest. 615, he used to tell me to come out to those too. He'd tell me to come out to pray. He'd tell me to come out to do these things. And in my heart, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I want to. I got better things to do at six fifteen. No, you don't. <laughs> like you know, I'm not saying you do. Some of you do. I mean, you know, you do what I'm trying to say. But anyways, but the more and more he began to push me to take these steps of faith, what began to happen was the power of what I was pursuing was greater than what I was trying to leave behind. As I began to pursue the face of God in prayer, I began to recognize that God was greater than everything else I was looking at. That as I began to pursue after community, as he began to push me to take those steps of faith, everything in my life started to change because there was so much more power in what I was pursuing. But that wouldn't have happened unless I had that spiritual authority. Even right before I went back to North Carolina afterwards, and then God began to call me into ministry. And then after I graduated, uh, at the end of my time after I graduated, I got a job offer for a job in New York City, and I was thinking about going to New York. But then I also had this burning desire in my heart to come to Korea because I knew that if I came to Korea, that it was going to be a step of faith. Like I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what God was going to do. But in my heart, I knew God was going to do something beyond my wildest dreams. I knew that I was going to get I knew that somehow God was going to take me to the nations, that I was going to see miracles I've never seen, that he was going to show me things that I could never imagine. But I was so afraid. I was so afraid of failure. Really, what I was most afraid of was that I would, I would see all these things, and then it would slip through my fingers. And so I called up Christian. He's Pastor Christian now. He's the lead pastor of our church. I called up Pastor Christian. I said, he said, hey, what's going on? You, you, pray, you told me you were praying and you're fasting, right? And I, was, I told him I was going to fast lunches for a week. But that was so hard. Like, I think I fasted like one day, like one lunch. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so, Help me, Lord. I called him. I was like, yeah. And he's like, so what are you going to do? I said, man, I know that New York is comfortable. But I know if I come to Korea, God's going to do things in my life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm going to experience and see things I never could imagine. But I'm so afraid of failure. And he, he just, he, he just kind of was like, well, you can't make a decision based on the fear of failure, Marcus. 
true. He was like, Marcus, you know what? You can do it. Just take the step. And as he began to push me to pursue after all that God had for me, when I took that step of faith, everything else that I was afraid of holding me back, it just began to fade away. The last thing you need to pursue are encounters with God. Because, see, when you pursue community and you pursue spiritual authority and you've got these people around you that are constantly moving forward in their walk with God and, and pursuing after who Jesus is, ultimately, it's not about pursuing those things. It's about pursuing God. I love what it says in Galatians 5.16. It says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, if you would just pursue the things of the spirit. You won't you will naturally not gratify the desires of the flesh and the desires of the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I was like when I read that, I was like, Paul, you just decided to list everything we struggle with, huh? Just so nobody could feel like that's not me. But he says, if you would just pursue the things of the spirit, you will naturally not struggle with those things. See, when each and every time you encounter God, you know what begins to happen is that all of a sudden you begin to recognize that he's so much greater than anything else. Every time you have an encounter with who God is, it begins to help you to naturally let go of fear, to grow in power, love, and sound mind. First John 4, it says that perfect love casts out fear. You know who perfect love is? It's Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, it naturally takes away fear. When you experience his presence, it, it takes away all that timidity, all that confusion, and it begins to bring you clarity. First John 3, 2 to 3 says that when he appears, we shall be like him. Meaning that when you begin to see Jesus, you begin to become like Jesus. You don't become like Jesus by saying, okay, I noticed that Jesus didn't sin. So I can be like Jesus by not sinning. No, actually, you become more like Jesus just by looking at Jesus, just by pursuing after an encounter with Jesus, pursuing after experiencing his spirit, pursuing after experiencing his love, saying, God, I want that. And then when you begin to experience that, what it does is it naturally causes the rest of the things to fade away. You know, I'll close with this. I talked about the power of pursuit, right? And I started with this story about this girl, Violet. What a name. And she was saying, I really want God. This was the right before the last session of our retreat. And it was that, that lunch, that Saturday. And she said, I really want God. I really want him. I want to experience him. I want to. I know that what Jesus has for my life is beyond my wildest imagination. And I know it's so good. 
but I just can't let go of these things. And I told her, I said, you know, you got it all wrong. You've been thinking all about what you need to let go of rather than what you need to embrace. If you will just pursue after Jesus, you'll naturally let go of those other things. And she said, you know what? I never thought about it that way before. And I challenged her. And I said, hey, you know, tonight's our last session. She's like, yeah. I said, God's not wanting you to go, like, jump up and down and do jumping jacks and, like, you know, act all crazy and shout. No, I'll challenge you to just do this. For one night, stop thinking about your struggles. For one night, stop thinking about how you don't feel adequate before God. For one night, stop thinking about everything that hinders and that you need to overcome and just open up your heart just a little to Jesus. And she was like, well, what would that do? Don't I need to go all the way? And she's like, see, it says in, in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. See, the key, the, the key thing is actually that it's not just about you pursuing Jesus, but Jesus is already pursuing you. And so if you just turn and open up your heart just a little, it sets you up to experience him because he's already running after you. He longs for you to experience him like never before. Let's pray.